Heavenly Father, we thank you for this snowy morning. Uh, at least I do. And uh, we thank you that you are with us through every season, every season of our lives, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would be with those who are in a, a season of trial right now. And there are many here at Judson Baptist, Lord. We pray that you would uh, be just pouring out your spirit, comforting the afflicted, using us to uh, help encourage and, and comfort them as well, Lord, that you would help us to be uh, the church the way the church should be, where we bear each other's burdens, lift each other up in prayer. And Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity this morning on this Lord's Day to gather together and continue a study of uh, a catechism that, that just guides us through your word and through the doctrines of the Christian faith. Lord, we pray that we would weigh every answer given against the scriptures, uh, just as the Bereans, to see if these things are so. And Lord, we would um, not just make this a, a head exercise, but a heart exercise as well. Uh, we pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, we're on now question 61. Took us a long time to get through that last one, I guess. I figured there was a lot of grand larceny at Judson, so we should take our time. <laughs> no, it's, just, it's one of those that was, this one is similar, where there's so many kind of subcategories under it, and then each of those has so many seeming shades of gray worth discussing that I, I thought, why not just go deep? And uh, we would maybe not go quite as deep with this one. Number 61, everyone on that page? What is the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment is... Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. All right, I am going to read a couple of old-timey sermon illustrations. Tell me if you've ever heard this one before. When the late president of the United States of America was about six years of age, someone made him a present of a hatchet. Highly pleased with his weapon, he went about chopping everything that came in his way, and going into the garden, he unluckily tried its edge on an English cherry tree, stripping it of its bark and leaving little hope of its recovery. The next morning, when his father saw the tree, which was a great favorite, he inquired who had done the mischief, declaring he would not have taken five guineas for it but no one would inform him of the offender. At length, however, came George with the hatchet in his hand into the place where the father, where his father was, who immediately suspected him to be the culprit. <laughs> no, no getting by this guy. George, said the old gentleman, do you know who killed that beautiful little cherry tree yonder in the garden? The child hesitated for a moment and then nobly said, I cannot tell a lie, Papa. You know I cannot tell a lie. I did cut it with the hatchet. Which makes me think of that little kid doing it. Uh, from the video. <laughs> Run to my arms. Glad am I, George, that you have killed my tree. You have paid me for it a thousandfold. Such an act of heroism in my son is of more worth than a thousand cherry trees, though blossomed with silver and their fruits of gold. Isn't it interesting how all of a sudden that story has like a point? I had always just heard, yeah, he cut it down and he said, I can't tell a lie. I'm like, so weird. Um, but with his father then forgiving him and saying, you've made me proud today by, by owning up and, and refusing to lie when you probably, there was no witnesses, you probably could have gotten away with it. They didn't have the forensic science to look at the hatchet and then look at the tree. The other one I wanted to read, Petrarch, a celebrated Italian poet who flourished 400 years ago, recommended himself to the confidence and affection of Cardinal Colonna, in whose family he resided, by his candor and strict regard to the truth. A violent quarrel having occurred in Cardinal Colonna's household, the cardinal, wishing to decide with justice, assembled all his people and obliged them to bind themselves by a solemn oath on the Gospels to declare the whole truth. 
Everyone, without exception, submitted to this determination. Even the cardinal's brother, Bishop of Luna, was not excused. Petrarch, in his turn, presented himself to take the oath. The cardinal closed the book and said, As to you, Petrarch, your word is sufficient. That's somebody who's lived a life of absolute honesty and uh, truth-telling. Uh, someone open your scriptures to Matthew 5, 37. That's right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and I think might prompt even a little discussion before we get to what is required in the Ninth Commandment uh, as to what, what the meaning of it is. Um, this is in relation to that last illustration as well. Yes, ma'am, let's hear it. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond this, these is of evil. All right. Aaron, do you, can you read 36 and 37 in the ESV? Yeah. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And, of course, the NIV says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, which is how ordinary... Normal people talk. That's the best way to say it. <laughs> it's, and and uh, probably the best translation, but okay. Um, in other words, you shouldn't even be messing around with uh, your vows, whether by the temple or the gold in the temple or your own head or whatever. Simply be like this guy who ingratiated himself to the cardinal, Petrarch, who, who uh, said nothing that was not true so long and so consistently that there was no need in anyone's mind for a vow because no one would think that he might tell a lie. Um, now that brings up questions of whether it's wrong to take an oath uh, in a court of law uh, or something to that effect. The, there are Christian traditions in which they don't do that. Um, they won't take it on the Bible or even in, in general. They won't swear an oath of any kind or... or um, it's, that's unrelated, but uh, some of the same groups won't swear an oath of allegiance either. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that? Anybody here ever testified in, in a court and put your hand on the Bible and all that stuff? I always, uh, I've always i seen it, and it's always like, oh, that looks cooler on movies. I wish Alex was in here. He just had to do this. Like a couple Did it finally happen? finally happen? Oh my gosh, he didn't even mention it to me. Did he He's just happy it's over probably. put his hand on the Bible? and? Oh man, I thought I would see. I would have been tempted. Take the day off work, get the kids all bundled up, and go in and make it make like a whole event of it. Let's go watch Dad in, in court talking about what happened next door. What's four years ago? Or ah, the justice system moves fast. But so that's you know that brings up a good point. You know, even whether he did or did not um, have to swear in the Bible. You know, it was four years ago. He may not mean to be like lying, but. Can he give the whole truth mm. right the matter? Well, and anytime you're a witness to something, you're you're possibly wrong, right? If you because you get different statements from different people depending on where they were when they saw something. It doesn't mean right. that somebody's lying all the time. Yeah. Can we agree though? I mean, with common sense, that the commandment is you shall not knowingly bear false witness. Sure. That's why I forget. Well, and and maybe implied in that also is not you know overstate it. Um, yeah. You know, if, if you're pretty sure this happened, say you're pretty sure. But you know what? When okay, this is on movies, but you see, you see lawyers like ask again and again and again to get somebody to say more than what they mean to say. Mm -hmm. you 
Yeah. Oh, I don't know if anyone's been watching the big trial this week, but you see all sorts of tactics in real life yeah. stuff too from you know both sides of every case. Uh, yeah, yeah. You want to get it on the record, and so if you if you are involved in something like as as big as a, a trial, probably as small as your average trial, uh, or even just you know you're asked something by your boss, you know, was so and so late, and you could really tank them and say, oh yeah, they've been showing up late. You know, exaggerate a little bit, and, and it would help you and hurt them. These are all uh, a violation of one of the big ten commandments, and and. When we say, what does this mean? It's obviously going to say, um, in every catechism and exploration of these things, tell the truth, don't lie, under any, any setting. But it's interesting that the specific case given here, the vehicle by which this don't lie commandment is delivered, is don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Like that, that is then maybe the core of, of this commandment not lying about someone else. Uh, and we're going to blow it up a little bit further and further as we go uh, as to to uh, how this commandment is explained and expanded in God's word. Uh, but let's move on then to question 62. What is required in the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment requires the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man and of our own and our neighbor's good name especially in witness-bearing. Now, when we had uh, in the, what does it mean to keep the Eighth Commandment, this thing about, like, protecting your own property, remember, that was, like, central to it, and that seemed odd. Uh, I think that was from the larger catechism. Here, it seems less odd when it says to protect your neighbors and your good name, in that by protecting your neighbor's good name and being someone who isn't backbiting and, and gossiping and slandering, that does protect your own good name. Um, let's open up the Bible and look at some of these proof texts and some others. Uh, let's go to Psalms and Proverbs first, huh? Why not? Proverbs twelve twenty two, Psalm fifteen three. Anybody there in Proverbs? Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. Lying lips are an abomination. To the Lord. I remember watching a uh, video in youth group one time, and it was like Carmen teaching. Remember Carmen, the singer? He was like a gunslinger who would shoot the devil. Nobody? He's with the Lord now. Uh, and he said, what is an abomination? And this always stuck with me. And I don't know where he got it, but he said, it's something that makes God want to vomit. <laughs> Every time I hear abomination, I think that. Uh, it probably is pretty close. Uh, that's, a, that's a strong word. It's like when you get in the New Testament, you start having anathema, which also can be translated damned. You know, we're talking about, without cursing, something that is God damned. This is the definition of the thing. The, the lips that lie are an abomination, like bringing the pig's blood into the holy place and sloshing it on the altar. Um, you know, th this is very, very serious stuff. And this is one of the cute sins that we often will kind of wink at, chuckle about, especially if they're little lies. Uh, and notice that there's a footnote there in Proverbs 12.22 that will say, some versions, unless it's a white lie. Oh, no, that's not even there. That's, um, if only it were, wouldn't that make things easier? You could, you could qualify all these things. 
Uh, Psalm 15, 3. Anybody have that one? Two? Okay, how about two and three? Aaron, Aaron's told us we should do two and three. He who walks in blamelessness uh, and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander in his tongue, to who does his neighbor to wrong and casts no slur on his well, the very end is, he who does these things will never be shaken. Uh, so, yeah, amidst those things uh, that make a, a solid and upright man who, who won't be shaken, according to, to David and the Holy Spirit here, obviously the blameless walk kind of covers everything, but he speaks the truth from his heart, has no slander on his tongue, and does his neighbor no wrong. Cast no slur on his fellow man. All of those are connected together. No slur, uh, no slander, and speaks the truth. Therefore, he's not wronging his, his neighbor. Uh, this is from a guy who was involved in several kind of slander campaigns and knows what can happen. Um, how about John 8.44? Let's talk about the, the kind of root of lies. Where do they come from? John 8:44. This is uh, Jesus, very important fellow. Being really nice and seeker sensitive here. Anybody got it? Yeah. Good. Thank you. You are you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. So, wow. That's quite an indictment, telling people they are of their father, the devil. And that means that they are kin and kindred of lies, because the devil is the father of lies. And he speaks his native tongue when he lies. He's the father of them all. Uh, that, that, I think, is an important thing to remember. It's easy to say... Well, I'm not really directly hurting anyone with this one. There's no neighbor who's being falsely testified against here. This is just, you know, to get me out of this tough spot. You're still aligning yourself with the father of lies. Don't forget, too, that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If Jesus is the truth, then if you have kind of a tenuous relationship with truth, it follows that you have kind of a tenuous relationship with Jesus himself. Uh, this is serious stuff that often goes unchecked, I think, in people's hearts and lives because if somebody is hitting the bottle really hard or hitting their wife or cheating in their business practices or uh, going to a strip club or doing any of these visible sins, a brother or sister is going to come alongside and say, hey, let's let's talk about this. How can I help you with it? But this one's easy to just kind of hide and manage and squeak out from underneath if someone does call you on it. Oh, I misunderstood or that sort of thing. So this is, I think, one of the commandments that draws us already into the heart, even though it doesn't have the same sort of follow-up like we'll get with coveting, which is, you know, kind of theft that happens only in the heart, just as lust is adultery that happens only in the heart. Uh, this one already is going to be kind of really pointing us into our hearts. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
And so if out of my mouth comes lies, what's in my heart? Lies, right? Uh, it's, it's the kind of thing that it's hard to get around. You go back to Genesis 3. The devil is immediately speaking his native language, right? When he comes on the scene, he's saying, did God really say he's casting a distance? Did God really say this? Introducing a little doubt. He's very sneaky about it. And then slowly wins over uh, the two most gullible people of all time. And eventually he says, yeah, you're not going to die. You're going to become like God, knowing good and evil. Is that true? The first part's false. The second part's true. Mix them together. This is how the enemy works. We have to be so careful not to follow him in how we deal with truth. Dash of this, a bit of that, no you know, harm, no foul, it's okay. That said, there are an awful lot of aspects of this that have been debated, and I think there are some gray areas when it comes to um, people using some kind of deception in the scriptures, uh, people having historically, for example, in uh, the case of, uh, gosh, examples that we'll probably bump into as we talk about this, uh, hiding Jews from the Nazis, you know, being a stop on the Underground Railroad where you're like, no, nobody like that around here, sorry. Uh, and you go, yeah, I'm pretty much just like Rahab who is rewarded. It, it, it gets it gets uh, a little bit murky. Yeah, Sam. So um, I, I know where I fall on this, but I'm curious about others. So what about, um, you know, the little white lies or little tales that we tell the kids about Santa and mm. fairies and Easter bunnies <laughs> and things like she that? She went there. I went there. <laughs> I'm very curious to hear answers. We never told Kelvin that Santa was real. I never believed Not for a moment, and it didn't ruin his Christmases at all. Uh, I think we did maybe, like, get coy about the Easter Bunny, and he looked at us, even at, like, two years old, like, well, you think I'm an idiot? This is, this is obviously packaged in a factory. This is not bunny candy. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I, I, I tend to think that... Those who really overreact with, um, you know, if you lie about Santa being real, and then they find out about that, why won't they question whether you're lying about Jesus being real? Uh, that may be a bit over the top. Uh, I believed in Santa, and I also didn't, like, lose faith when I realized that sucker. wasn't real. Sucker. Well, I think it's because, I mean, you've got... The, humanity has a history of having stories that aren't real, so like it's not like that's the only thing you're lying to your kid about, you know? Like fairy tales and all those things. Are... Pokemon. Or what about if you tell your kid, uh, you know, if they keep wanting to go touch the hot water heater or something, and you make up some story reason why they can't? You know, that's a similar kind of thing, I guess, only more utilitarian. Anybody have any thoughts on the on, on Sam's big? Canunge here on the. What do you do, Sam? We do. We've told Levi that Santa's not real, but we've been accused by family of completely ruining Christmas and all childhood happiness. So there was a. He doesn't seem like a happy kid at all. I know. Very, very sad. You know, we could send our well-adjusted child to talk to your relatives and say, you know, I turned out fine. So. If we're going to tell the truth to our kids, and get them to trust us, how can we justify that? Well, and I, I got into this when I, when I volunteered at the zoo a lot, where like a kid would ask a question that was awkward for a parent to answer, and they would just make something up. Mm. What are those animals doing right now? Oh, they're hugging. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's probably okay to like 
talk about the fact that that's how more animals are created, but they don't want to like translate it to like, oh, I know I can talk about people. Um, but or you just saying never you mind. Just crap to tell. <laughs> or if they don't know the answer, they might yeah just. Uh, they don't know the answer, so it's, it's okay to say I don't know. Let's look it up, which is always what my mom did when she didn't know something, and that made me somebody who was curious and looked stuff up. Mm-hmm. They'll just make something up, so that they don't seem like they I don't that, know everything. I think that's how parents either get out of yeah seeming like they don't know everything or get out of the awkward conversations with children, right? Even into teenage years, maybe. Oh, right, yeah. yeah, like the weird things that people believe about life where you're saying, doesn't make it right just because it's awkward. Right. So, is it a sin? See, that's the question. It's <coughs> right. to tell white lies. Are white lies not the same as you say? You still know that it's a lie, you still know that it's untrue, and you're still telling another Okay, we're getting into more kind of nuanced stuff than I intended to this quickly, but... I think you have to ask yourself, what is a lie? Is it any form of deception? If that's the case, then a magic show breaks the yeah, ninth commandment. That, right? If that's the case, then watching Jurassic Park breaks the ninth commandment. They are deceiving you into thinking there are dinosaurs running across the screen. And you say, that's too far. Okay, what about playing basketball? If I fake left and go right... <laughs> Go right around Sean, leave him, uh, hit the layup. Have I sinned against him because I lied to him? There are deceptions that are, um, there's not a culpability because you are not breaking the expectation. If I'm playing chess and I make it look like I'm doing one thing and do another thing, we're all having fun, we're all in on it, we all understand this is part of it. And I think maybe that's the nature of families where the older kids know but they pretend so that the younger kids will have a fun time. Uh, I don't know. I never, I never believed in Santa because when I was like three, my sister who was seven was like, I'm going to talk about how she lied to me all the time in my sermon uh, opener today. Um, but the one time she told me the truth was, you know, there's no Santa, right? Mom and dad bought all that stuff. I'm sure it didn't hurt. In fact, if anything, it made me appreciate my parents. And when I opened gifts, not go, oh, I'm so thankful for this magical elf person, but go, wow, my parents must really love me. That's just one last thing about the Santa thing. Um, <clears throat> when my son was little, we treated Santa almost like a game. It's like when he was really little, yeah, Santa brought the presents and all was all exciting in it. But he was pretty young when I started bringing him into the game. Let's see what we can surprise Daddy with on Christmas morning. It was, it was a, a surprise, and, and that was the fun of it. Mm-hmm. It was not believing that there was a, yeah. mm-hmm. a reindeer flying around with sleigh and stuff, but it was just kind of an extra oomph to Christmas that, that's true. And, and he took to that real well and, and liked to do surprises and stuff. And then he wound up on a roof with a high-powered rifle. Very maladjusted <laughs> young man. Actually, he's doing great. Uh, yeah, that's that, that's the, exactly the kind of things I was thinking might <laughs> might come up. So that's and, just like... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, that's like one realm is like fun and games. Yeah. But what about like the sparing someone's feeling type of... Let's put a pin in it in a minute and read okay. some more scriptures. Um, let's you know, Here's one about exactly that. Okay. I'm just kidding. Uh, Luke 6.31, very famous passage. Uh, I wouldn't be able to ask that kid from the video what it is because it's not in Matthew, but he's probably heard of it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I think you get into some of the nuance of this then. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do you, 
you know, we, we saw in uh, Ephesians, we talked about speaking the truth one to another in love. And that ought to be at the core of being a Christian. So the in love part may come into play if someone says, hey, do you like my new haircut? And you could either, let's see, you could be starkly true and say, no, it's ridiculous. You look like a 1980s, you know, aerobic streetwalker or something. Or you could bald place lie and say, I love that. Could you give me the, you know, number of your stylist so I can consider getting it? Or you could do the kind of frozen, paralyzed face and like, it's interesting or something, which, what do you do? How do you speak the truth in love? You would not want someone, if you do unto others as you would have them do unto you, to always be perfectly, starkly honest all the time. That is not a good friend. That is not a good companion. That, that's, that's just, a, and it's not a good brother or sister in Christ. There has to be some coloring of how you interact with people with the love. Right. Well, and I think that it changes, like, probably the closest people to you, ideally, we, you should be able to be honest about those things, but nicely. Like, you have, like, a really good friend who's going to, who you expect to tell you the truth. Like, you, you got to have at least one of those people who's going to say, like, that looks terrible. Erin, you're that person for me. I am? No, I do that... Years later, when you ask the question, I never bring it up. Now, uh, if I ask, you you answer. <laughs> Tell them about the palm pilot. <laughs> twice, twice there. I had I had in the early early audies. I had a a swinging a thing. You put your palm pilot on your on your belt. How did I get married? <laughs> and when you walk, yeah, but I'm still that guy. And when you walk around, it was sort of swing. And after like a week of it, I caught myself in the mirror and I was like, Aaron, what do you think of this? And she was like, lose that. That's ridiculous. You're. But like, it would have been mean for me to just bring it up immediately and say, like, I cannot believe Because I was excited about it. Yeah. Was so excited. Then I bought a case for it. And this is before smartphones, anything like that, way before. And it, and it was a case that it unzipped and opened. It looked like a planner, like a, like a Franklin planner, like something that like a professional would have. And started out. Started out, yeah, I was squared. You know, it, it fit with me. I wore my tie to work every day, even though some slackers didn't. And uh, when, when you opened it up, I, all my, my business cards or, or my, my credit cards, my ID, everything was in there like, you know, like a, it's European, like a carry-all or something. And then uh, I looked at it one day and it had kind of gotten rounded. And I was like, Aaron, am I carrying a purse? And she just sort of went, yes. And I still have it, but I still don't have it throwing away, but I haven't carried it since then. Uh, and that was probably 20 years ago. Yep, 20 years ago. So that, I don't know. That, that, that is getting into the kind of harm, real harmless stuff. And are we, you know, we talk about not trying to get right up to the line and see how much can we do, but go far away from it. But in these cases, there's there's other things to be considered, and that is being a loving and kind person. i got to wonder what Jesus did, because you know he was sometimes in this position. It doesn't tell us in Scripture about any of these cases. When his mother was like, what do you think of my new sash or whatever? Or, you know, when, when Peter started, you know, wearing a do-rag or something. And, Jesus, do you think this is cool? You know, like, I don't, I don't know, but... We don't know, but we do know that we should do unto others as they would do unto us, and we also should let our yes be yes and our no be no, um, and not get to the point where I have to say, yeah, I know I do like that dress on you, I swear, because at that point now, I've lost credibility, or I wouldn't need to say that.
I, I remember for at one point when I was learning about the Ten Commandments real seriously for the first time. Mrs. Doan was teaching us through, through them in, in probably about Calvin's age. And realizing I had a lot of friends who anytime they made any claim at all would follow it up with, swear to God. Oh yeah, no, swear to God. And, and it, was, it was almost a verbal tick. Swear to God? Wow. That is something we need to be real careful about. Letting our, our grip, grip on the truth start to slip away to the point where in order to be taken seriously, we have to practically blaspheme. Uh, let's read some more scriptures. Colossians 3, 9. Colossians, uh, fraternal twin of Ephesians, of course, which we just spent a ton of time in. 9 and 10, how about that? This is under the heading of rules for holy living. Uh, and in Ephesians, it's under the heading of living a, a life worthy of your calling. Which is language I love. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's very short. Yeah, it's just a couple pages probably in your Bible. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So lying is attached to the old self. That makes sense. The old self was in line with its father. Could it be Satan? The new self is not. It's being renewed day by day. And so any sin is going to throw back in with the old self, why is it then that he, in both uh, Ephesians and Colossians, makes a kind of linchpin of it, not lying, speaking the truth to each other, doing it in love, but but telling each other the truth, uh, I think because that is a very easy sin to commit and one easy to justify. A, a commandment that we can get cute with, if you will. Let's look at a, another case study that's going to you know, throw some doubt on our clear-cut categories and delineations. That's Joshua 2. I remember preaching on this many years ago and getting done and thinking it was one of the best sermons I'd ever preached up to that point. I'd been preaching for probably eight or nine years, and no one said, nice sermon on the way out. I thought, man. Probably we all just go to this. No, then the next week I'll like flub it and be like, oh, that was the worst. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, I changed my life. You're amazing. Okay, so who's going to... Read this for us. I think it's worth not just summarizing, but reading. Somebody, Aaron, give us a good dramatic read. Of, start with the beginning of two. Yeah, you know the you know the background, right? We've got these spies. They've gone into the city of Jericho, the city of giants. You ever think about that? Were they even like, "Ooh, you're cute," or were they like, "Why are you huge?" Uh, and and they go into the city of giants. They go into the brothel. Yeah, she's got to be. I hadn't either until just now. She lives in the wall. That must be a big wall. Well, you know, you just yeah, a code is different. It's just uh, 50% bigger, everything. So, yeah, they, they go in, and they're being kind of chased. It's it's time to close the gates and everything. The the city officials are on to them. The secret police are making their move. They run in there, and she uh, takes them in. In fact, I think I'm going to step on the, this text itself, so go ahead. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly to... Sh- from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. 
And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with stalks of flax that she laid out in, in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt, before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as, as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. Okay. And the men said to her, yes. That'll work. Um, okay. <laughs> we've got a swearing by the Lord in there as well. She's, she doesn't know them, so their yes doesn't mean anything. She wants them to swear by their gods, which would have been a, a normal thing uh, for someone taking an, an oath of some kind or a vow. Uh, but what is it that motivates this odd behavior from Rahab? Saving her family. Mm-hmm. Seeing how the Lord is great has already declared it's going to happen. The fear of the Lord. Their hearts have turned to wax. They're like, yeah, we're huge, but everyone here is scared because they've heard. I mean, read the, the account of their fight on the other side of the Jordan with Sihon and Og. It's super cool stuff. I mean, these people have already mowed through uh, much bigger, much nastier enemies, and she's attributing that to their God. And so out of a fear of the Lord, the one true God, Yahweh, and she, where you see Lord with uh, small capital O-R-D, that's in the Hebrew text, that's the Tetragrammaton, uh, yod heh vav the, the name of God. Um, she, out of fear of this God particularly, not one of her gods, not God in general, has decided the right thing for her to do is to save their lives and then ask them to repay her by saving hers. Does she sin anywhere in here is the, is the age-old question. Now, granted, we've had thousands of years to backseat driver, Monday morning quarterback, which she had like three seconds to decide. So maybe we should just show some grace anyway. But I think it's an interesting for going forward, and in, in, as Christians, an interesting question: Should she have done something different? If so, what? Well, she she did unto others as she wanted done unto her. Exactly right. Yeah, I'll save your life, and I pray you'll yeah. Although, I mean, she lied to the the guys who came looking for them, and she wouldn't want people to lie to her, probably. So at the same time, I guess she. And a lot of life is like that, isn't it? Where you where you go, there is no 100% easy, obvious path through this. You pray for wisdom. You ask if you have time. She didn't have time to call together her friends and ask what she should do. But if you do, you, you seek out counsel from wise people who know God's word and are filled with the Spirit. But what do you think? What, what should she have done? It is interesting because when you think about it, even if you had an idea of, well, the, the moral thing to do is the thing that's best for most people, she saved her one family mm-hmm. 
and her entire city and everyone in it died. Well, they were all going down anyway. <laughs> well, is that then? Oh, well, this this is already all gonna happen, so I may as well get something out of it for myself. That's not a way to make our decisions either, you know. I don't know. I mean, if you're in a in a city that it has brought destruction on itself, and you try to save the people that you're entrusted with their safety, I don't think that's selfish. That's, that's no. I'm I'm not saying it's selfish. I'm just saying that like that thinking like okay, this is the reason I'm doing this. This is a brave woman, and you are bringing your patriarchal no, toxic. To, like, talk about all the yes, yes. No, I agree. There's you could say this is not so much selfless as her self interest. Right. There's definitely some self-interest in it. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and God put interest for maintaining our own lives and the lives of our families in us. Well, the beginning, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So what she did must have been wise. Or at least the very beginning of wise. The very beginning. And it would, and it would eventually develop into... Uh, I mean, now this, this lady winds up in Jesus' yeah. uh, genealogy. In England before D-Day, we created thousands and thousands of inflatable tanks mm -hmm. and guns mm -hmm. and stuff like that, put them all over England, hopeful that it would make Germany re redistribute their men. So when they we invaded, they wouldn't have as much men for we invaded. Was that a sin? Right, and, and one would say that's not in the category of lying because just like when you play basketball, Everyone expects their opponent to fake left and go right, and and that's part of the way it works. So in war, yeah, the psychological aspect of it is always going to be part of it. You're trying to yeah outthink, outmaneuver. Wouldn't that be the same out for Rahab then? I think so. Oh yeah. I, I for for the record, I think Rahab's is straight up um, amazing hero who who had you know the stones that the other ten spies earlier had lacked, right? And yeah, she's she's awesome, and and of course, I mean, I, I told you about my adventures in in uh, Christian ethics classes before, where I would put my foot in my mouth again and again. Uh, but the guy, maybe the same guy who said he would just pray for his wife if someone came in and attacked her, rather than hurting him or hitting him or shooting him or something. Um, when the question came up, like, is it is it wrong during the occupation when the Nazis come and say, "Are you hiding Jews in your house?" to say, no, because that's a lie. And someone said, well, what would you say then? He said, I would tell them, come in and see. And then I'd see if I hid them well enough. And I was like, oh, interesting. Dumb, but interesting. Uh, it looks like it's time to go. So let's put a pin in that. We will delve deeper into some uh, kind of case studies of when deception breaks the commandment or it may not or if it is possible to skirt the line without falling back in with the old self and the old father uh, and then we're going to get into talking about slander and gossip and that other kind of stuff that falls under the the broad category of this uh, this commandment let's now go to the lord in prayer heavenly father we thank you for the truth we thank you that the truth will set us free. We pray that we would be people who speak the truth in love, that aren't looking for an out, a justification to lie. Lord, we pray that we would take seriously both the speaking of the truth part and the in love part and be kind and good. And Lord, Lord, that when the, the need arises, we would be bold and brave 
uh, like Rahab and, and Lord, uh, honor you uh, in every aspect of our lives. Lord, we know there are so many areas that are not super cut and dried uh, for what, what one ought to do if one follows Jesus. We pray that we would uh, continually seek your face, become more and more like him, have the mind in us, that same mind that was in Jesus Christ. Uh, think less of ourselves and, and more of others. And Lord, uh, that you would help us to, to navigate the gray areas as they arise. Uh, we thank you for giving us a church that we can uh, bounce these things off each other and pray for each other and, and talk things out with each other. And, and Lord, we pray uh, when we've failed and we can see that we did do the wrong thing and make the wrong move, we thank you that you uh, will forgive us as soon as we confess our sins. And Lord, that you will help us to, to grow and be refined by trials. Uh, we pray, uh, pray that you would be with us uh, during the coming service, that you would be glorified in our singing, our praying, and our opening of the word. And Lord, we pray that we would be uh, today inspired by uh, how you open uh, hidden doors, how you stretch out your hand and rescue us when we least expect it, in the way we least expect it, again and again. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.